everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Angle Podcast. It's your girl, Melissa. And as always, I'm super excited that you're here. So this week, I had the pleasure of sitting down virtually with Bobby Lehu, who is the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew. I wanted to sit down with Bobby and ask him about what content influenced his prolific 30-year career in the promotional products industry and what had the most impact on his leadership style. What followed was a really fun and engaging conversation about content, storytelling, and identity. So let's get into my episode with Bobby. Bobby, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking to you. Yeah, I'm excited to get into these questions and learn more about you and some of the content that's influenced you as a creator. So are you ready for this? I am as ready as I can be to talk about myself. I'm usually on the other side of the mic. So, you know, this is a little uncomfortable, but you make it easy, Melissa. Oh, well, thank you so much. So I'll make sure I I don't catch you off guard too much for this combo. So you've been in the promo industry for 30 years, which is a really long time. So, I mean, you could have gone to other industries or tried, you know, maybe other roles. What is it about promo? Like, how did you get your start? Uh, it's a good question about what is it about promo? Because I think most of us say, a lot of us say about this industry that you can get in, but you can never leave. You know, it's like Hotel California. I I think the creative complexity keeps a lot of us in this business. I I think because we're in such a complex supply chain, because we're dealing with clients with a multitude of projects, the variety keeps a lot of us so interested. It's, and you never have the same year twice um, in this business. You never have the same season twice. It's always something new. And that's a trite comment, but it's so true about our business. Um, The market changes, the flux and the volatility is all a part of why we love the business. You know, it's like a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a hit for a lot of us, you know, to keep going and keep going. Um, And I got started in the business just out of a desperation, right? It It was just a, you know, punk kid. It was either flip burgers or pack boxes. You know, I, 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 um, you're at that age where any job is a great job. And so uh, I found a job working for a gentleman who started a a company um, and it was a promotional and print company that did fulfillment, which back in the day, that was a rare thing, uh, very common today, but uh, they just needed labor. They needed, they needed uh, expendable labor. And that was me. I just needed to hustle. So I started out, you know, hustling boxes and packing and shipping and things like that. So that's how I got my start. That's pretty awesome. Can I ask you if you don't mind, like, since you kind of got a, uh, a casual start in promo, did you ever have any other aspirations for other careers? Like, you oh, know, sure. Three- I, I, I sure. I think you, um, it, the cool thing I think too about this business is you can explore those aspirations in different ways. It took me a long time to realize that my real strength was in creative communication. And, but, but I did, but what's funny is this business is creative communication. You're doing it through a different channel. You might be doing it through merchandise and you're doing it through marketing. You're doing it through your own digital efforts. I, I think, I, you know, there's an incredible misnomer about career fulfillment and most of fulfillment is, is about finding fulfillment where you land and exploring those options. Um, and because the world is rich with options. I think it's just a matter of our perspective. And a lot yeah. of this, keep in mind, a lot of this, I know a lot of, because I interview a lot of folks, this can be put together and packaged with a lot of platitudes that sound really great. At the time, you're going through it and going, oh my God, do I really want to be doing this? Who am I? After a while, you sort of understand there's a difference between who I want to be versus what kind of work I want to do. And then you someday, somewhere along the way, I, I realized at least that 
the work is what you're wedded to, not the company. Uh, I work for an amazing company, but you're not wedded to the company. You're not wedded to the organization. You're wedded to the work. That's the work that you're doing all the time. So the work is something you love. Somebody asked someone once, who, someone said, I want to be a writer when I grow up. And they said, great. Well, do you love constructing sentences? Because that's what a writer does. What the person wanted was the sort of the, um, the halo effect of being a writer. They wanted the ego of being a writer, but what they didn't want to do is to put in the work. So um, I, I think for me, it was a matter of finding and gravitating to the work that I loved doing. If that answers the question. It totally does, because I feel like, you know, speaking from my own experience, I've gone to school twice. I got my undergraduate at Temple and then I got mm -hmm. my master's um, at the Fox School of Business. But I think when I went back for my second round, it was like, OK, so my career doesn't have to be linear. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't have to have the same path for the rest of my life. And it's OK, yeah. like it's not a failing to have more than one passion, because I think like yes. there's a lot of shame like particularly for my generation as millennials, I don't know if you experienced the same when you were starting out in promo, but essentially, um, you know, you're being flaky if you don't have the same job or you don't end up landing yeah. in maybe like what you specialized in. So I think that's interesting, like be married to what you enjoy versus like the title, the industry, you know, if you like creative communications and promo, if you like creative communications, working at a publisher, you know, yeah, or at a hospital, exactly. as long as you're yeah. passionate about those things, that's really what yeah. matters. And well, what I love about what you said too, sorry, sorry to uh, cut you off there. I didn't mean that. Um, what I love about what you said so much is that you have to give your perm yourself permission to be a multi-hyphenate right? You have yeah. to give yourself permission to do that. It's kind of surprising to me to hear from you as a millennial to say that that is, is the way things still are. I sort of see the world has changed somewhat because back in the day, you know, you only had a few career paths. You only had a few options that you should pursue and you should pursue a specific study and stay on that path. There are so many people in this industry that have either a psychology degree, a mm. history degree, any degree outside of doing marketing and merchandise. And it's astonishing to me. And as someone who hired people for many years, I never once had an employee that was working in their major at our company ever. Um, and so I, this whole idea, I think it's an interesting idea that's flourishing today. And that is that you have permission to be a multi-hyphenate. The fact is that the more experiences you have makes you, uh, I think a person with a richer and more diverse opinion um, and you're more valuable so. to a company 100 percent man yeah so for you when you started out you know I'm curious to know because for my generation it's information overload like I am mm -hmm. definitely conditioned by my phone if I have a question if I want to figure something right. out you know I'm a second away from typing in an answer in Google and getting you know tons of information back to me so for you when you were starting out as a professional you know what were some of the channels that you were going to for information? Like, was it through mentorship, books, cave etchings, carrier pigeons? Like, how are you finding your information? Cave etchings. <laughs> um, it's such a, you know what? You know what? I, I um, this is going to sound so much like I'm kissing your ass, but it's the honest truth. And that is, I cut my teeth on the counselor magazine okay. because that was all we had. And not only that, but as you guys know, that's some award-winning content. Now that sounds like ass kissing, but you guys have an amazing group of editors and writers. But keep in mind, yeah. you're this. Keep it in mind, <laughs> yeah, you're this young punk kid 
and you work in a warehouse and you're looking for aspiration of any kind. You're looking for inspiration of any kind. And this magazine called The Counselor kept coming in. It was the only magazine that would darken our door. And one day I saw on the cover of the magazine um, an article about a million dollar salesperson. And I looked at it and I had been reading this article, actually devouring it, stealing it from our tiny little break room and our shitty little warehouse and, and, uh, and, and you know, holding these things away, literally keeping copy after copy. Not that I'm neurotic, as you can tell behind me, and I like to do that. But I, so I, I have this magazine. I see this article of the million dollar salesperson, and a light bulb went off. And I thought, wait, you can do that in this business? And it sort of just drew me in article after article. And so that was how I cut my teeth. And literally until the day I was recruited away from by, by CommonSkew from working within the business as a distributor, I still had articles and parts of articles uh, taped to my wall um, that were lessons. That makes me really happy to hear. That's awesome. That's so cool. I can't wait to like share that with Michelle. She'll be super Yeah, oh, she, she, she knows. She knows that I've been obsessive about it for years. Oh, awesome. I wanted to ask you though about that. Like for some of the articles that you've saved, was there anything in particular that's resonated with you? You know, like if you still have some of those things saved, like what was it about there, those articles or authors that, you know, really influenced you? It was mostly the stories of other entrepreneurs and distributors and suppliers in the business. Um, there were uh, what I think the counselor always did really well was tell both the good and bad and ugly. And so, for example, um, I'm going to forget the company names, but there were directions that we took in our business based on things that I had read elsewhere. Uh, that I read in the counselor. And and one was, I, I remember following this one brand forever, thinking that's who we wanted to be when we grew up. And then to come to find out it was, it was uh, turned to be out quite a mess. And so I had this article printed as a way, uh, this one, it had to do with investments in your sales team and your sales force. And these folks had overreached and spent way too much money in that regard. So there are things like that. There were both cautionary tales as well as entrepreneurial stories. The, the Probably the most fascinating thing is I look back on it is I is you're you're this young kid who dropped out of four different colleges and you literally are just this punk with with um with nothing but a bunch of dreams and what you see with a, a series of articles or stories from other entrepreneurs is you see these folks with diverse backgrounds some might be former NBA players like this one article was some might be folks like me that never did anything get in this ind industry and mm -hmm. find not only fulfillment, but absolute joy and an incredible career. So, so that's what like I kind of, of discovered. Yeah. Like the aspirational part, like you found your tribe kind of, of people, yeah. you know, through those stories, which is really interesting. That's pretty yeah. awesome. So for somebody who is self-proclaimed very militant about their time and blocking their time and, and tracking what they do, <laughs> with the amount of information that you have access to, especially now with technology, how are you evaluating those resources? Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I struggle with it just like yeah. you do. Um, I am trying to figure out how to say this delicately. I, I don't, I don't, um, there's so much on my TBR list that I want to read. There are so many articles that I have saved. I use a program called Pocket. Um, that so that when I see something on Twitter, or I see something on Instagram, or I see anything anywhere that I want to read, I just click on this little button and it saves the article to read later. There's a lot of these services out there, right, to read later. Yeah. And so I use that a lot. But I mean, there's really two types of content, right? There's flotsam, which is like, 
that sounds pejorative, but it's not really. Flotsam is like, you know, what's left over from a cargo ship after it's sunk and the, the pieces that have risen to the top and are sort of floating down downstream is a lot of what we get with social. So something happens, good or bad in the world, and suddenly we get this wave after wave of flotsam. And like, you're sort of like going through your feeds and you're dodging, you know, debris the whole way and you're trying to decide what's what's worth reading. A lot of it comes from the resources you trust, you know, like you. You've got the resources you trust, the New York Times, the New Yorker, the friends you trust. I know when certain people send me something to read that it's something that I should sit up and pay attention to. So a lot, a lot okay. of it has to do with people filter as well. So there's the flotsam that can be negative and positive because you also want to be in the slipstream of what's going on with culture. So you do want to know what's going on. Right. And I think that's why the feeds are important. Um, you'll never hear me knock social in that regard because I think it's vitally important for us to know what's going on with culture and to hear the cultural voice. But I find that the deeper works are for me at least something required because I'm actually not that smart and I have to dig deep in order to learn. So I have to go into a topic and I have to dig into every layer. So my favorite resources happen to be those kind of long read pieces like you'd find in the New Yorker or um, uh, authors that I love. I gravitate to books um, I, mainly because I am so easily distracted. Uh, you know, I'm so like everyone else, but all the more so. So I actually have to build devices around me to keep from getting distracted. So like cueing yourself and you like stuff that you can kind of like, for lack of a better way of saying it, like soak in, like get lost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I have a subscription to JSTOR, you know, the, the academic research journal. And it's simply because, not because I, I, I'm a smart person, it's because I like to dig deep into a topic. So if I get into a topic, that's part of the problem is that like you get into a topic and you want to learn everything there is about it. You know, it's a good thing too. What are some of the topics that you're getting lost in now? Um, I'm reading Kwame Papaya right now on uh, race and diversity and just the race conversation and, and um, also reading a lot of articles around um, gender, gender norms, and just the conversation, the public conversation we tend to have, but also the private battles that we tend to have around identity. A lot of what I'm obsessed by is around identity. And I think really? this comes from my love of story. And, and maybe it comes from my background, but um, a lot of it has to do with that. So I don't know why I'm absolutely mesmerized by, uh, in, a, in, a very, in, a, in a very curious way about identity, our, our forms of identity, um, how that is uh, manifested in the public sphere, and then also how we as a culture uh, adopt, adapt, and, and thrive through these identities. No, I think that's interesting take. I wanted to know though, for you, because you've had so many leadership roles, like you seem to start out at a place and like quickly ascend and you've been for the last couple of years at CommonSkew in a very visible role. How has content, whether digital or print, or maybe some of the content you consumed when you were younger in your career influenced like your leadership style? Um, oh, wow. How has it influenced my leadership style? I don't know that I can, I honestly don't know that I can assess that really well on myself. What I can say is that something I've learned through the years is that um, it's not so much the resource or the book as, the, as, a, as it is the reader. And what I mean by that is um, I loved this, uh, this TED talk that, that 
that Ethan Hawke did last year on creativity. It's just a very short video that he did in isolation for a TED talk and uh, Google it because at some point, because it's amazing, but he talks about uh, he and his stepbrother went to see Top Gun um, back when they were about 16 years old. <laughs> you gotta fix that. Um, so uh, he, he, and his, he and his stepbrother went to see Top Gun. Both of them go to see the movie at the age of 16. Now, mm. keep in mind, movie can be a book, it can be a resource, it can be an article, whatever. That's content, right? We, we don't want to keep, we want to give content. It's, it's, it's lateral. It's, it's, it's um, a, a wide berth, but that's content. So they both process content and one of them comes out and becomes an award-winning director and an actor. His stepbrother comes out and becomes an awarded um, soldier who literally just retired as a colonel in the Green Beret. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to me that both can go see a military movie. And yet the two can depart having chosen completely different paths, but then excelling in that. So what I think I've learned from people, and I'm going to, I'm going to mess up if I start naming names, but from, I think I've learned from my closest friends around me Mm -hmm. is that um, what material really sets us free is that when we come to grips with our own unique identity, about who we are and you and I are going to process an article in two completely different ways. Um, Me and Mark, Mark and I will process articles in two completely different ways. Catherine and I will see completely different things and it has to do with our perspective and our diversity. But the one thing that Joseph Campbell talks about is, is following your fascinations. So what happened with Ethan Hawke and his stepbrother is they both left the movie and they both followed their fascinations that were deep within them. And I think that's, what's dangerous about like, top business books or top articles is that it's not the book it's the reader you know yeah. what I mean no I get what you're saying like uh, you know kind of going off what you're saying I always think about like challenges like you're seeking mm-hmm. an answer like for me professionally in my career or even in my personal life sometimes I'll seek out content and I feel like maybe six to seven times out of ten it's in relation to a challenge like something that yeah. I don't maybe have a framework for sure that I want, you know, to have some type of mastery over and then to kind of make it my own. Like you're saying, those two brothers that went and saw that piece of content, took it two different ways, but somehow made it their own and it had an influence on their life and interest. So I guess for you, like in your career, if there's been any, I guess, challenges or situations that you've come up where you've referenced content and that's been more of like a guide for how you've navigated leadership. Yeah. Actually, yes. I like how you refine the question there. Um, but um, yeah, so if you're struggling, for example, all of us struggle with it, but I've always struggled with habit and positive habits. And so books like The Power of Habit have been important. Back when we were trying to decide as a business where to grow, again, a struggle that you talk about, Good to Great by Jim Collins was a great book. Okay. Um, I gravitated myself toward marketing books. I read every marketing book I could get my hands on until I finally realized after a while that most marketing books are not worth reading in their entirety. They're basically essays written for the sake of the publisher, but there is worth the price of admission in every book, a chapter or two chapters or three tap chapters. I think um, Francis Bacon said that some books are meant to be digested, some are meant to be chewed, some are meant to be devoured, some are meant to just be tasted. Um, and I think that's that's one thing. I, I'm struggling as a leader, I was struggling. So I read um, Howard Schultz's um, Onward, Starbucks, story, which is fascinating because he, he documents a lot of struggles that he had. I always struggle as a leader. Um, um, the Long Tail by Chris Anderson was a book that I read. Some of these books back in then were 
monumental for the time period that we were in, but not nearly as relevant as they are now. Good to great, it was timeless. Um, but a lot of marketing books, which change, of course, as things, as things change. Can I ask as well, as somebody who followed like a less traditional path in regards to like education and getting their career started, you're definitely somebody who obviously like values education, like definitely peer to peer. And I feel like the cool thing about you is like, it never seems like there's any gatekeeping. Like you're somebody who's had success and you're willing to like take your time and experience and ensure that with others. And I feel like that's reflected throughout your career. Like I know that you've been a part of like our ASI education circuit. So for you, since you value, you know, teaching and educating peers, how's that reflected in your current role at CommonSkew? Well, first, it's kind of meant everything to me. If you want to just look at a career, it's meant everything. Teaching has meant everything to me because um, back at the very first ASI show in Chicago, um, I was struggling um, as a leader with our business that we didn't have a word for it yet, but it was going to be called company stores. We didn't know what business we were in. We were in the promotional products business. We were in the printing business and we did fulfillment and packaging and we did, and we were start, we were about to start doing e-commerce and, and we were this really weird animal that today is very common, but back then it was a strange beast. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to market it. I didn't know how to sell it. Um, and yet here we were with this really weird identity and I remember thinking, oh, it's called company stores. Apparently that's what we do. And I didn't know enough about it. And there wasn't a class on the docket to talk about it. So I put together a curriculum for it, knowing damn well that I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> that I, that I could only, you, that's yeah. Awesome. I, so I put together a title and it's, it's a description, sent it off to ASI. And they said, oh, this is badly needed. We need this. And so I show up there honestly scared to death because I don't really know what I'm talking about. What I, looking back in hindsight, what all I had to do was share my experience. That's all I had to do. I, I thought I had to have all the answers. I didn't have to have all the answers. I just had to have my story told in a, in a, in a succinct way. And then people would appropriate, again, it's the reader, not the resource. People would appropriate what they need from that. What's very interesting about that conversation is um, when I was done with it, I sweated it out the whole time thinking, what am I doing up here? I'm such a poser. I don't know why I'm teaching this class, but really I need to be in the audience. And I had um, a handful of distributors come up to me uh, and say, hey, this was, this was absolutely amazing. It's what we needed. And, and we don't know anything about this. And I was like, hey, I don't know a damn thing about it. <laughs> can we go, can we go sit inside? We literally went off to the side and talked about our businesses. And so that's how you learn. And when Mark Graham and I uh, met on the education circuit and we both were in, in funny ways, he was always more creative and cooler than I was. And he was running this cool agency like model up in Toronto. And I'm running mm -hmm. this sort of fulfillment e-commerce business here. We both gravitated for somewhat similar reasons to the education circuit. We had something to share, but we also had a lot more to learn. And this was at a time when education wasn't everywhere like it is now. You know right, what I mean? Right. I mean, now it's, now it's so plentiful. And back then the industry was full of secrets and we were so exhausted by that. But anyways, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, that's you know, it, was, it meant everything to me. And so in my current role, um, what to me, the most gratifying thing in the world is to take is just to hear someone's story, take their story, and help craft it and shape it in a way that does justice to their journey. 
Um, and whether we do that through a form of a written article, whether we do that um, through the form of an interview like you and I are doing now, whether we do that through the form of um, a story shared at SKUCon or a talk given at one of the virtual conferences, all of those mediums change. But what stays the same, what was in that counselor article that I read as a punk kid, what, what, what's in the stories that we're sharing now are these beautiful journeys that people are on that are very unique to them. And so that to me is actually what's exciting. I mean, it's, a, it's fun to do the work at, at, at CommonSkew um, to, to, to be empowered that way, um, to, to have a, someone like uh, Catherine who, who is incredible. She doesn't, um, she's going to hate this part, but she's probably not going to listen. She's too busy, but she's going to hate this part. <laughs> but um, she, um, she doesn't get enough credit for her amazing ability to um, see potential in people, to take a risk and know that, wow, there's a passion I think we can harness and work together so that what you end up creating is not um, hiring an employee, but creating a partner um, that, that when you put someone in a place to do the best work that they love to do, um, it's just a matter of, of um, of working together towards similar goals, you know. May I ask, is she the one who bought you in, or was it Mark? Like um, I, I I like to say both. Catherine okay. uh, was Catherine, as Catherine is, was relentless. Um, but cool. you know, but I but I also had at that point also kind of realized that wow, what I really really love doing is this, I've never found a better phrase for creative communication, but I love sharing other people's stories. I'm curious to know for you, you know, as a social media user, when you were working on the ASI social media circuit and some of the previous um, presentations that I see you give about utilizing social media for communication, building connections, like know, like, and trust, like you were definitely an early adopter. So now currently for personal use and for business, is there a particular platform that you're gravitating towards? Like, are you secretly on TikTok? Like, are we going to find an account of you doing dance <laughs> challenges? Or is there like, um, so, is there like Pinterest boards filled with recipes? Or Yeah, exactly. I love, you're so yeah. good. I love, I love your, uh, you're so good. I love your question. Um, I love the way you ask it. Uh, I love Instagram. I think it's an inspirational platform. Um, I'm on the record for knowing how much I don't like Facebook, but I recognize that that Facebook, Facebook, all social media platforms. I mean, you'll never find any hate for me about these things because um, because it's a lot like people's music or people's movie taste or whatever. Never criticize someone else's taste. That's just how they're exploring their journey. That's just how they're learning to live, right? So for some people, it's it's uh, something they love. I. Um, would say uh, I love Instagram for the inspirational um, aspect of it. The fact okay. that it's both a visual medium and creative medium. I have only recently really enjoyed, um, and I mean real recent, re enjoyed TikTok from the standpoint of TikTok is um, an amazing visual instructor. Instructor, right? It's 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 such mm -hmm. a great creative visual tool. So recipes, you know, I love I love now to follow vegan or or vegetarian folks who are who are cooking so that's a very highly visual thing guitar you know it's great for music there's so many things right we know dance that you won't find me doing any dance on it but but those are the things i think those are those are the two i twitter i do love um the thing i love about twitter is um 
I, ha I use a service called Readwise. And what, what I use Readwise for is that for highlights. So I mentioned Pocket that I'll use to save articles. For highlighting articles, you can use Pocket to highlight articles you read on the web. You can use Readwise to highlight articles you read in books or Readwise to even highlight tweets that you want to save that are really important. Right now, what I think is cool is happening through Twitter is that it's become an, a fascinating micro op-ed platform yeah. where people are giving such such cool opinions um and so now uh, i'll I, I, it's funny i've become more of a consumer and less of a contributor i've got to fix that but and a lot of that has to do because i'm spending a lot of my own creative time creative time working right, you know, right. putting creating things like what you're doing now with this interview um so i don't spend as much time on social creating as i am doing things like articles and interviews like you're doing here um but i do love the op-ed consumption of Twitter. Um, and so I'll save those later into Readwise. And so every morning, for example, uh, Readwise is a cool app because you can look at your highlights from the day's reading of the day before or the week before, and you can process those because I have a very poor memory and it's, it's a mnemonic device that kind of helps me remember. I got, yeah. I got into way too many topics. Go ahead. No, no, I appreciate it. That's why I asked the question because I want to know. So you mentioned kind of like some of the themes of things kind of you're searching for like recipes, music, um, the like what you use to kind of cue you to go through some of the content, the prolific amount that you save. But I guess like, I'm curious to know what type of content do you like to create for social? Like, is there anything in particular? And I'm not surprised like you gravitate towards like Instagram because I feel like that's mm -hmm. very in line for like your personal interest and kind yeah. of that lifestyle curation aspect. It's very aspirational, right? right? Yeah, like yes, you can exactly. kind of present that highlight reel. So what do you yeah. like to create? I'm still of the, of the old school that sees social as more than the micro sharing platforms of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I see things like blogs and articles mm -hmm. as a part of the social conversation. So um, as opposed to thinking it hived off and separate in its own category, I, I think every time we're writing an article and a thought piece, you know, that's a part of the social conversation. So right. where I actually enjoy my um, social contribution the most is in a deep form article or a longer read, or it may not be a long read. It can be a two minute read, but it's going to be something that that's crafted and created for conversation. And a great example is this morning we posted an article um, on client tips for uh, uh, client management tips from the pros. And so my friend Sandy Gonzalez out at made to order, I was on the phone with her last week and I said, Hey, what would be your number one tip for, for folks? Um, managing clients through this crazy season we have with supply chain issues and all these kinds of things. And she, she gave me the tip and I, and she said it in sort of like a paragraph statement. What I loved was building language around that, that, that sort of brought out the texture of what she was trying to say and then put it in context with what's going on in the market and what's going on with our customers. That is a part of the social conversation that's happening right now because we have supply chain issues. We have, yeah, you know, okay. customers that are struggling with this over here. And so to me, that's a part of the social conversation. So long answer, but you would expect that if someone likes long reads. No, I totally, I love that answer. May right. I also ask like more for what I would consider like the photography aspects of the flavor of content that you create more personally. Like, do you like that um, aspect of like staging a shoot? Are you taking that content yourself? Are you like hiring a photographer? Is it like 
the aspect of maybe playing a character or like presenting another side of yourself that's just fun to play? Yeah, it's a great question because um, I have been, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, obsessed by the fact of identity. And uh, the German writer, I always have to quote somebody, Mark Skinny may help for this. Uh, the German writer, Hermann Hesse, says one of my favorite writers, and he talked about, we are not one self, but we are thousands of selves. And I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that in the fact we talked about multi-hyphenates and mm -hmm. building that in together, that we are these multiple personalities, honestly, in a positive way, not in a negative sense. Um, and so reflecting any part of that in your journey can happen through your writing. And for me, phot photography is a part of that. It's for the mm -hmm. most, I, I shoot 95% of my um, shots that I shoot are mine. And then I had a photographer and friend recently take some pics. That's really um, awesome. but, uh, but I love photography. I love photography for the story it shares and for the moment it captures. It's one of the most Zen, um, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Zen person. I struggle because I'm a neurotic, but I, but I, uh, but I love the um, sort of the Buddhist mindsets and Zen mindsets because photography is a very Zen experience, right? You're taking a moment and you're capturing a moment. Um, poetry is about a moment. It's about capturing these moments. So I think that's what I love about it. The tools change, you know, it can be through words or it can be through um, a, a, the camera itself, but what you're really doing are capturing these beautiful moments that are so effervescent and they just move so quickly past us. Wanted to ask you, I think, it's really important, especially um, when we're people in this industry who have positions of power as we're doing our part to diversify the type of mm -hmm. content that goes out there. So as you kind of being a thought leader in this industry that a lot of people look up to, what are you doing to kind of diversify the types of content that gets created and to amplify diverse voices um, for this industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I. Um... We have always, something that I've loved with CommonSkew, and it's something you didn't really notice until the conversation over the past couple of years has really risen to the surface around diversity and perspective uh, and viewpoint. But um, Toronto and Canada is a very diverse culture. It's a very diverse city. Um, whereas I'm down in somewhat the Midwest South area, right. which at least from a stereotypical standpoint, is not very diverse. But I'm also in um, a part of the country, that, like literally the city I'm in, is recognized for um, world literature. I don't know, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I'm coming back to your question. And I, <laughs> the reason I have for this is because I've always loved world literature. Okay. I've always loved, um, I've always loved. Um, authors and writers with perspectives that I don't have, whether that's a Haitian author, whether that's a Korean author, whether that's a Japanese author, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's because I grew up at this, this um, diverse high school for kids that were from all parts of the country. So you'd have kids from the projects in Dallas, you'd have kids from the projects in the Bronx. And I think it's because I grew up in this cultural milieu or this cultural um uh, experience. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that brought folks from with different perspectives and maybe that gave me a love for this, but I don't know where it came from, um, that I love the perspectives of other folks. So this has come out, I think in our work from the get-go, uh, Mark and I, and, um, for example, when we're booking speakers, the question has always been, what story do they have to tell that's different from our perspective? What okay. viewpoint do they have that's different from our perspective? The interesting thing is, um, Nick Cave, the, the, the musician, says that songwriting is counterpoint. 
And that often, I think um, one of the things that I've learned is that often some of the greatest truths come out through dissonance, maybe a disagreement of your opinion, like what uh, reading Apapaya now or uh, Kwame with about race and diversity and, and having the guts to have the conversations is part of the, is, is part of the challenge that we have today, but also um, bringing those diverse voices to the stage, whether we're doing that through SKUCon and our stories, whether we're doing that through our podcast, whether we're doing that through written articles. I, the, the thing that I've learned to do is go, okay, you know, we're inherently wired to find people that are like us, to find our tribe, to find mm -hmm. folks that think like us, believe like us, and that's where we find comfort. But where we learn the most are people that don't have perspectives like ours and think differently about ours. You know, so growing up with um, my buddies who grew up in the projects in Dallas, um, I learned about life through a lens that I didn't have. And, mm -hmm. and I learned that a, a much richer it's almost just like you've got a viewfinder, you know, that's, that's myopic and you can only see through a, a very tunnel vision. But then when you begin to see other people's perspective, things really begin to open up. It so, helps yeah. yeah, it really helps you grow. So I think because we started as a, with a baseline of a love for story and a love for the fact that everyone has a story, the fact that you can flip open the Manhattan phone directory uh, back in the day when there was such a thing and you could literally <laughs> call any number and call someone and they would have a story to tell. Like there's something about them and their journey that has a, so I think that's it. Being proactive now, what it means is making sure that you are widening that scope, that you right. are inviting diverse opinions, opinions that don't agree with you, opinions. Um, and sometimes that comes through the form of people that not only don't think like you, but don't look like you and didn't grow up like you. Is there anybody in particular, like through that kind of quest to diversify the content you offer through Common Skew that you've really found that you you look up to or you like? Oh, in terms of their stories? Yeah. Oh like, has there been, yeah. Is there like there somebody been, off the top of your head that you're like, there oh, have been I'm so, so many. Um, and I'm just terrible with names. I, I, I don't want to spill the beans, um, but we have a speaker coming up at SKUCon. Man, I don't want to share the story. I was talking with him last week because it's going to be so good. He's going to share the story and we, and we have a platform that we're going to give him to share the story. And it's such a unique perspective. It's such a different perspective than anyone that I've ever had um, talk with. This afternoon, I have an interview with another guest and she's from Chicago. You know, she's a single mom from Chicago who, who loves working with the black community and empowering women. I, that's a perspective I don't have. Um, cool. So... I think the short answer, it's going to sound like a lazy answer, but the short answer is I just love learning from everybody's stories. No, that's a great answer. I love that. So before we get to our fun question, is there anything else that you want to add? No, um, you know, other than I, I, I think, um, I, I think we're, when it comes to learning and education and and um, career advancement or looking at how you can, you, how you can, because that's a logist of a lot of our conversation has been about how we grow, I think, through business and through, and through our journey. And I think a lot of it is understanding that this, this, this um, distinction is that the, the more that you understand how different you are, I think the richer perspective you have to bring to the table. And this took a long time for folks like me that are not, you know, real confident in that and real confident in who you are. It takes a while for that to happen. I remember when, when Catherine first hired me, you know, one of the things that she said was, 
we brought you to the table to have an opinion, right? We brought you to the table for you to share your perspective. And it took, it takes some of us a while, some of us to struggle with that. So I just want to encourage anyone that does um, is that you don't have to have the answers. You just have to have your perspective. And then those of us that are working amongst others, we also don't have to expect our colleagues to have the right answers. What we want them to have and share is their perspective. And I think that we get that right in our business culture. I think a lot of magic can happen. I think a lot of change can happen. No, 100%. So yeah. final question, if you could switch lives with any artist dead or alive, oh would it be and why? Oh my God. <laughs> It's the hardest question. The hardest. It's also the easiest question in a sense because um, um, I, what I I think this is something that I might end up doing all the time, practically every day. Actually, is um, you know when you read a story or you're processing, you go to a movie or something. There's there's something intrinsically magical happening. You're watching a story unfold on the screen, or you're watching it happen in a book, but you're also looking in a mirror. Right. It's like looking out a window and so you can sometimes see your reflection in the window when you're looking out, you're seeing the cars mm -hmm. go by and you're seeing the story unfold before you on the outside. But then you're also looking at um, uh, Robert McKee, the screenwriting uh, genius that consults Hollywood. You know, most most of Hollywood has been to Robert McKee's storytelling seminars. And he said two people can go in a movie. Um, one can come out of the movie and hate it. And one of them can come out of the movie and love it. Why? And the reason is, of course, one of them had empathy with something going on with one of the characters in the movie. So long answer to your short question is I kind of live vicariously through whomever I'm reading at the time and maybe really? and, and right. maybe and maybe that's why I've gravitated to so many world literature writers is because I love trying to live that so I couldn't think of one person I could only think of the recent journeys I had already been on through okay. you know through a, a writer whether it was Mirakami you know or whether it's Dostoevsky um, those are journeys we get to take so rather than thinking wow, with regret, who would I rather be and live? Maybe that chance we get is around us all the time and we can actually choose that journey any day. I like that. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for all your candid answers. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Melissa.